Homeland Security wants to see promising technologies developed in federal labs turned into commercial products it can buy to support its missions. DHS is helping that along by running a new series of competitions among startup teams. Last week marked the end of the first Homeland Security startup studio. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with the Director of Industry Partnerships at DHS Science and Technology Directorate, Megan Mall. We launched the Homeland Security Startup Studio uh, earlier this year, right around the beginning of the calendar year. We're really focused on trying to identify, accelerate, and deliver commercial applications of DHS relevant technologies within industry partnerships, which is uh, the division I oversee at DHS S&T. We are focused on innovative ways of working with industry, but the other piece, and, and really just as important is making sure that we're seeing things through to the market. We want to make sure that we're helping to commercialize solutions, transfer solutions out to end users. You know, that's within DHS, that's outside of DHS, that's, you know, commercial solutions. So the idea for the startup studio and FedTech is our partner on the startup studio, and they've run similar programs with other federal agencies, is to take federal technologies or technologies at academic partners and really build venture companies around them. So teach entrepreneurial skills um, and build a homeland security market for technologies that are relevant to our end user requirements. Got it. So uh, what have you learned over the last few months in running this event leading up to the the final event last week? So much. Um, but I, you know, I think this was a very interesting idea for DHS. This is the first time we've run it. We already have plans to do it again. We're soliciting for interested uh, applicants for our next cohort of the startup studio. We think it's been successful so far. We have seen a lot of interest, you know, within S&T and our partners who are interested in seeing how the technologies that have been federally funded previously can really be spun out into companies and also how we can help participate in venture building. The startup studio brought together a very excited, very dedicated group of people um, who spent a great deal of time over the past nine months talking to customers, doing a lot of interviews, really thinking through their companies, doing a lot of planning. And it really showed in the five pitches that we saw during the Converge event. A lot of people very dedicated to the work that they've undergone. And you know, this is probably in addition to uh, day jobs. So the, the level of commitment was so great to see. Yeah. And and I think you had 10 technologies that you selected, uh, 10 teams that were formed and ultimately five companies formed out of that. But can you kind of take me back to how that all started? How did you scout out the technologies and and how did you get teams involved? So we cast the net very broadly at the beginning. Uh, And S&T is a little bit different from some of the other agencies who have run startup studios. We work with a lot of interagency partners on our uh, research and development efforts. So we had a lot of partnerships in place. So when we were first looking for technologies, we were scouting, uh, I think we had initially 450 technologies that we had looked at to see what was applicable to the first startup studio. And those are 
technologies coming out of our S&T centers of excellence, so our academic uh, centers of excellence. We have uh, partners at Department of Energy National Labs, DOD National Labs. So we really were able to cast a very broad net. We also were looking internally. S&T runs five laboratories ourselves. So we were looking at technologies coming out of those laboratories as well. That's the technology foraging. And then the other piece was looking for entrepreneurs who are interested in working with us on developing these technologies. And that was done, FedTech did a, a lot of work to source those people, really putting out public events, whoever was interested, people they knew. Um, and they do a great job of trying to find a broad group of people, a very diverse group of people who are interested in building these companies. They put a lot of emphasis on diversity in the development of these teams and then resulting companies. I think there was a stat that 81% identified as a female or person of color, indigenous origin out of these companies, which, which is a great measure for us and, and a great way of encouraging you know, broad involvement in this type of program. Got it. And so how do you think DHS S&T will leverage the work from this event moving forward? So we're definitely planning to maintain relationships and remain connected with the five teams. Um, we're definitely invested in their success. You know, the teams are made up, a, like I said, a diverse set of inventors and entrepreneurs. They have a lot of impressive experience and exciting ideas. So that, you know, they're getting ready to move their technologies to the market. And there are certainly people that we want to continue to engage with. Um, and then, like I mentioned, we're looking for, for new people who are interested in doing that in, in the next round in our FY22 cohort. We're going to be, again, sourcing technologies from U.S. labs, research centers, universities. We're really emphasizing the need for research that addresses real world problems and then delivers the solutions to meet the needs of you know, responders. So we really wanna take the expertise, stay connected to the folks that were in this first cohort. You know, the FedTech runs a, a network of alumni. Um, so they're certainly going to continue to, to be involved. And at S&T, we have a number of other programs, funding programs. So there's certainly the possibility um, that they may be involved in, in other ways with S&T going forward. And you know, it's early, obviously, the event just happened, but do you have any ideas on maybe new things you'd like to do in the 2022 cohort, or is it too early to say at this point? I think we're still working through lessons learned, but we definitely have some interesting ideas already. We are really focused on our own internal technologies. So the technologies that are coming out of DHS laboratories, wanting to make sure we highlight those. But we plan to cast the net as wide as possible again for the 22 cohort. But I think we, we have some great ideas. I think it was a successful first attempt, certainly. But there's always room for improvement. And I'm excited to see what it looks like in FY22. Got it. And, and then in general, do you have any early ideas on how you might approach, you know, innovation and, and, and just the management of S&T and industry partnerships going forward based on this event? Yes. So we, we do a lot of different, uh, you know, innovation programs at S&T. And this is just one in, in a great network. 
you know, innovation for us is all along the spectrum. Um, this is an example of venture building. We also, as another example, work with the startup community in our Silicon Valley Innovation Program, taking technologies that are already being developed in the startup community and tweaking them a little bit for government use cases, leveraging the commercial power that's already happening. We also are very invested in the Small Business Innovation Research Program. A number of the pitches, uh, a lot of those companies, you know, their next step is SBIR funding, whether it's at ST or another government agency. So there's a lot of crossover, a lot of networking, a lot of ways to continue to take the work that's done in the startup studio and move it along into another program at ST or another federal agency partner um, to ensure that this is just the beginning. You know, while it was the end of the culminating event for the startup studio, it really is just the beginning of these companies moving forward. Megan Mall, the Director of Industry Partnerships at DHS's Science and Technology Directorate, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. As a parent, no two days are ever the same. And let's face it, sometimes a little extra help goes a really long way. That's what's so great about Care.com. They make it easier than ever to find local, experienced, and background-checked childcare to help manage your family's ever-changing needs and schedule. From nannies and babysitters to daycare centers and tutors, find help for long- or short-term support. Whether you need an after-school sitter or help with the homework, there's a large selection to choose from. And all caregivers who use Care.com are required to complete a background check before they're able to interact with families on the platform. It's so easy. Just go to Care.com and post a job for caregivers to apply. You can search for qualified candidates, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, and send messages directly. You can even find other kinds of care, including housekeepers, dog walkers, and caregivers for seniors. Find care for all you love. Sign up now and see why over 3 million families use Care.com. Visit Care.com today. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision.